0: Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Today. Javier, Javi de Jesus. And you see I see I, I practiced beforehand and we talked about it beforehand, and I apologize. <laughs> You're fine, brother. You're fine. So, number 30 in your program, number one in our hearts, former Cajun pitcher. Uh, let me embarrass him a little bit here before we get started. 1991, led the team with a 2.32 ERA a one-hitter against Houston Baptist, uh, 1992 led the team with 32, 13 victories, 58 Ks, Collegiate baseball's uh, Baseball News, first-team All-American, Baseball Amer- America, third-team All-American, All-Sunbelt, All-Louisiana, twice Sunbelt Pitcher of the Week, Collegiate Baseball National Player of the Week, uh, and I could probably continue to go on and on, but you know, we don't have that much time You've had
1: a storied <laughs> career here. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I, I'm blushing over here because some of them, some of the ones you mentioned, I didn't even know about, <laughs> to be honest with you.
0: Well, you know, I, I I, am one that I go on eBay and I find old, uh, especially when it comes to baseball. I do a mm-hmm. newsletter for the Diamond Club, which supports uh, uh, UL Baseball. So I find old, um, old uh, media guides. And this one right here, is the one from 1993. So it had everything about your career uh, as you finished up. So, oh, the one thing oh, I forgot to mention, though, I'm sorry, is uh, 1992, also one of three players on the team to be drafted. Yes. And we've got our guest here I, I, on a little bit
2: earlier. So, uh, Mr. Man of Mystery, why don't you say hello? Oh. Well, I, I guess he jumped off. He'll be back in a second.
1: Okay. Yeah, you had my heart floating for a second. I can't wait, to, can't wait to hear who it is.
0: Well, we've got a special guest that, that'll be joining us here. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, he said he was going to get on his phone and be on. Uh, he, I told him 10-10, and when I said he was a few minutes early, he, he might have got spooked. But, so, uh, let's talk about how did you get to UL? You're from Puerto
1: Rico. I'm from Puerto Rico, but I grew up in Texas, in uh, actually in Beaumont, Texas, and I, I went to Westbrook High School. Um, played all played uh, varsity uh, from sophomore year to to my senior year. Um, but my sophomore year, that's the, the time that I actually met Coach Emrick Jagno. He actually came into because uh, at that time, my sophomore year, we had one of the best teams in the country. We were ranked 29th in the country of all high school teams in the country, which was incredible. We had, I think, 10 guys go Division One baseball to play Division One ball from that team. So he actually came in for like a recruiting deal, like the old ways that coaches would come in and go to high school practice and everything. So he saw me pitch, okay. and he worked with me, and then all of a sudden he said um, – you know what, come your shooting year, I may come back and get you. And what do you know? It was between the university of Houston and you, and at a, at the time USL, but yep. I made a decision to be a raging Cajun because of coach Jack. No.
0: Okay. Well, I graduated right before you did in 1980, before you got here and I graduated in 1988, but I remember those teams well, because I was still working. I was able to come in a lot to, to watch the team play. So, um, mm-hmm. So, so he, now coach Jagno also coached high school in Texas.
1: Yes, he did. He coached at Thomas Jefferson high school alongside coach uh, Mitch Gaspard, which came in and actually was one of the assistants. So our ties like coach Jagno coach Gaspard's and mine, we go all the way back to their days at Thomas Jefferson high school so I have known those two men got literally all my adult life.
0: Well, uh, it, it's, it's funny how we have a small world. We, we, we talked before this about, uh, you know, me living, living up in Indiana is, and where you're living now, but let me go ahead sure. and bring on, uh, our, our, my friend here and your friend, Ed Tuna Perkins, Ed, why don't you unmute your mic there and say, hello, <laughs> Ed you, Tuna, you're, you're Unmute, unmute your mic i wish i could do it for you
2: unmute there i think i think i did it my hey. man oh my gosh how you doing bro ladies and gentlemen the left hander on the mound today from ponce puerto rico number 30 <laughs> in your programs number one in your hearts javi De
1: jesus oh, oh my gosh oh this is fantastic how you doing bro Bro,
2: it's good to see. Well, I don't see you, but it's good to hear you at least.
1: How you, you know, been, dude? It, it's been it's been a whirlwind down here, man. Let me see if I can get. there we go. Can you see Hobby. me now? Javi! there. You go. How you doing, my man? Hey, I love your haircut. Hey, there it is, man. That's all the years that these kids up here in Fort Wayne have uh, <laughs> have done to me. So yeah, I'm I'm as bald as can be now. You know, I, we I was spending time with Craig. Last night,
2: and he was saying, "Yeah, Javi's gonna be on the uh on my podcast." I went, "You know, me and Javi played in the band." And Craig, yes. you played. Craig was like, "You play in the band?" I'm like, "Yeah, I actually yes. had talent, <laughs> and here are pictures to prove." There's Javi,
1: Javi in the Z Cavariches. Oh, the, dude! Though I cannot believe you showed that picture. Oh my gosh! Look that at that hair! Good lord. <laughs> It looked look like How y'all are about have, to throw down there. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, the oh man, you were the the Mar the raging Cajun marching man. Now now you're bringing back some serious <laughs> memories. That was awesome.
2: Uh, trips to Houston that we don't want to talk about, or Super Bowl weekend in New Orleans that we don't want to talk about. No,
1: no, we don't want to go there. That that that's that's for uh you know when I come down for alumni weekend uh, in October. Yeah, we'll we'll have we'll, we'll catch up that time. How about that? I wish we had the shilling shack to still do it, though. That's very <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> how's, how's the rehab going on the Achilles? You know what? I can finally jump, and I'm going to start. I actually threw a bullpen to my uh, Ivy Tech guys, uh, like, last week, and I've been doing my measurements to see how it would improve, and I actually topped out at 81. Nice. So I told them that my goal is once I get – myself ready to go. And I'm in, I'm in good shape and everything. I'm going to pitch against them. So hopefully I can get my fastball back up to 85, 86 and well, you know, show these kids. I was actually done.
2: Greg, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. And if it, if it embarrasses Javi, it's okay. (laughs) When, when I was in the band with Javi and we all knew Javi was part of the baseball team, Javi, uh, you know what, there are people that go through your life, you know, them. you kind of remember them. Mm -hmm. they become your friends javi no matter how far we are is he was an amazing guy in the band and also of course on the mound and he was always so friendly to all of us not saying any of us weren't friendly Mm -hmm. but he he just was one of those people you can't forget and i'm proud to call him my friend oh dude that hits me right here, brother. That hits me right there. <laughs> and he scored the winning touchdown in the last death bowl we played in.
1: Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, my goodness. He God. was our great
2: running back against that drum section. Oh, so, oh my God. <laughs> All-American pitcher, band member,
0: yep. and now, now running back. There you go. That's <laughs>
2: yeah. He, do- he does a, it I'm all.
1: One-man wrecking machine. <laughs> Javi,
2: oh. nothing but success, and I look forward to seeing you in October. Absolutely, my man. Good seeing you, brother. Good good seeing you. Craig, thank you. Hey, thank you, Tuna. I appreciate it, man.
1: All right. Oh, my uh, gosh. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, bro.
0: Oh, I, th- I thought you would enjoy that. Like I said, he was over at the house last night, and we started talking, and, uh, and uh, Ed's a great guy. I didn't realize it when I first met him, he and I went to the same high school years apart, but, uh, oh god! so again, small world, very small world that we all live in here. Absolutely. So, um, where were we now? Sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, uh, little flabbergasted there. Ed's a great guy though. Great guy.
1: He, he, he uh, 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 yeah, he's seen him. More more memories just kept rushing back. I mean, my like I said, my time at in Lafayette were probably the most memorable of my entire life. So that's that. Lafayette holds a very special place in my heart.
0: Good, good. So back to baseball or back to everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So high school, then you end up here. Now I, I haven't been able to find anything. Were you here as a freshman?
1: I was here as a freshman. Yes. Did you pitch or? I actually my my first uh, in I actually got three games in. Um, I threw actually no I actually came in like four or five games. I started three of them. Um, my first win was against um, Prairie View A and M. Threw a complete game against them. Uh, but my very first outing uh, was actually against the University of Texas in Texas. So we got I got thrown into the mix of actually facing Roger Luce the great catcher from, from of Texas. And unfortunately I got welcomed very quickly and he hit like a two run shot over the scoreboard. So it was more like, welcome to college baseball. This is what you have to look forward to. So it was very intimidating, you know, being there. And then I got my first collegiate at bat of the, the, I think he was, he was the number one pick for the Oakland A's that year, Kirk Dressendorfer and it's the first time I've seen anything over 95 miles an hour. And I did manage to pop up to the, to the shortstop. So he didn't strike me out. So, which was good, but it was, it was memorable. I mean, that's, um, uh, freshman year was an eye opener.
0: Okay. Cause I, I'm the problem is with all those back then. I, uh, I can't find uh, Well, I pulled up 91 or 1990 would have been your freshman year. Yes. Correct. 89, 90. And, uh, I, I guess you didn't have enough at bats or enough pitching to to make the 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 NCA s- score sheet at that time was you know you had to have so or they didn't put you on it so that, yeah I, I
1: was I I was 3 and 0 as a freshman um okay. I had, I was like 4 for 10 cuz I actually did hit as well too I was a dual player I was a I was a two way uh went 4 for 10 and I actually had my best game against Lamar University that I had a triple and a single, I went 2 for 3 with a triple um, and I almost got my friend gets hit the ball, hit the bottom of the wall. I almost got my first home run. So, but it was, I mean, it was against the school that didn't that offered me the least amount of money. All they offered me was books. And I said, forget you. I got people offering me all kind of crazy stuff. So no, forget you. And I didn't like the coach back then. Anyway, it wasn't, um, it wasn't Jim Gilligan. It was, I think coach Perkins was there and he was, He treated me very poorly. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to stay in Beaumont. So that's why, you know, I did what I had to do against them. So I I enjoyed that part.
0: Well, you brought up the hitting. Now, did you play the field too, as far as besides pitching?
1: I played, I played first base and I think I got one game in the outfield, but um, in my freshman year, but I, I, I came in a couple of times to pinch hit. So I did get my, I did get 10 at bats and everything, which was, which was exciting for me because I mean, it was like being a two way player. Back then was rare, but I was able to do it. So
0: I'm looking at your your, your junior year in conference. You batted three sixteen. Yep. Uh, so I mean, okay. I was wondering if all these numbers were right because some of them are are. I'm I'm not going to say off, but uh, so that's uh pretty doggone in, in, impressive there. Uh, because uh like you said, a lot of time pitchers do not hit at all.
1: Uh, so. Wow. Yeah, and and, that, and I I enjoyed that time at the plate. I mean, it was a, it was a challenge at times, but you know, back then you're you know something that Coach Bo actually instilled in us is like we're gonna do what we can to win. You know, whoever got to put in, we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to win. So he he decided to put me in there, give me a shot, and you know I was successful sometimes. You know, a lot of the, you know some of the other times I either struck out, popped up, or hit into a ground out or whatever, but. You know, he just gave you that opportunity. If you, if you're the one that wants to be out there to do what you can to help the team win, he's going to give, he gave you that opportunity.
0: You're listening. We're talking with Craig Malonso on today. Javi, Javi Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm going to probably, hopefully by the end of the day, I'll have it correct. So it's all good. And with a name like Malonso, you think I would, I would be so, uh, um, we're we're gonna skip around a little bit. Let's let's talk. Sure. And I, I don't want to talk about your your pro career because mm-hmm. I'm hoping you'll come on again because I have a lot of questions about that. And I don't want to sure. take up a lot of time today. But maybe during the summer when when I when I when I start talking about the minor leagues and what our our guys are doing the minor leagues, we can have you back mm-hmm. on and talk about that because I, I find that very fascinating world. It because it's not glamorous,
1: you know. No, you think it is? It really isn't
0: you think pro baseball but it's not it's a lot of a lot of them a lot of guys have better i guess accommodations and things in, in college baseball mm-hmm. than you do in the minor league so
1: oh you do yeah we we could talk a long time about that cuz i know there's a lot of people on twitter that i'm involved with that are advocating for minor leaguers right now and yep. i i saw that they're finally doing that major league baseball is finally doing something about that which Definitely later on when when I see that happen because I, I'm really close with the general manager and the president of the Four Wing Tink Caps, the minor league team of the of the of the San Diego Padres. Okay. I know him. I've known him for 20 years, so we can definitely have a more in depth conversation about that.
0: Excellent, excellent. I appreciate that. Um, so I, I'm just looking at some of this the names on on this uh, 92 team though. Besides yourself, you had uh, you know you had Ken Myers, you had Papo Ramos. Uh, Lee Mm -hmm. Cantrell Paul Baco I mean the names on there and I guess I just I I remember going to the you know the regionals in Baton Rouge Mm -hmm. and the different places but I guess I mean it was 30 years ago so I guess my brain ain't as good as it used to be (laughs) (laughs) but um before we I'm sorry I, I I and I'm not making fun of anything I I I'm probably sure I have ADD because I skip around way too much but uh, let's talk about post-college post-minor league baseball where are you now to I mean you and I talked about it but tell people where you are now and what you're doing
1: well I'm actually in Fort Wayne Indiana I settled here in Fort Wayne back in uh, 1995 and I've been here ever since and in 2004 I actually helped found a uh, travel team up here called the Four Wing Cubs. Now we're known as the Four Wing Diamondbacks, which is an amateur, we're a travel program. And we have anything from nine U all the way to seventeen U teams. Over the course from 2004 till now, we've had close to 300 kids actually sign on and move on to play at a collegiate level. With two currently right now, we have in the big leagues. Actually, we have a third one that just got called up by the Yankees. Um, Grant Richardson. He's he went through our program, but the two that actually went through our program are Kevin Kiermeyer, the Golden Glove center fielder of the Rays and uh, Zach McKinstry, who made a big, big to do last year with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Those those two guys have been they ran They went through our program. I've, I coached Zach McKinstry personally since he was like maybe 14. So I've known that those families for a long time. So since then, uh, this past August, I was actually hired by Ivy Tech Community College to be their pitching coach. And that's been probably one of my most rewarding things that I've done so far and has basically re-energized the love of baseball to me again because of all that I'm actually getting involved with, not only with teach, you know, coaching them, teaching them how to play the game, but also with the biomechanics side, with the analytics side that I'm combining both the old school way of thinking with what's actually going on right now in, in baseball.
0: So how, how much, um, in, in your mind, has the game changed that much with analytics? And is it for the better?
1: Um, you, can, you can make the argument either way. Um, I think that a lot of people take a- analytics way too far to the right um, for the new school of people. But the old school guys think, no, analytics is bad. But there has to be some kind of blend. Um, I had the privilege of actually talking with uh, Dr. Tom House at the ABCA convention in Chicago, and we had a discussion about that. That finding that common ground between old school and new school is what a lot of major major league clubs are actually heading towards now. There were there were a lot of them were, were mostly analytics, which everybody saw was really messing up the game and the and the and the and how it flowed. You know, with You know, it doesn't make sense having a reliever be an opener, you know, and once you started doing that, that got a lot of people scared about the future of the game. But once you start blending the two together, you can still have that, you know, I guess that tradition of having a starter, you have a middle relief guy, you have a, a setup man and a closer that can still be used and use analytics to help you to help you decide what pitchers are good in those particular roles. So that's what that's that, that's where I think that's where baseball should be headed and it's headed. And that's what I, we're actually doing with Ivy Tech now that we're going in that route, which is important to us and is important to the kids because they're finally figuring out this is who I am as a pitcher. And once they're doing that, once they find out who they are, now their talent actually takes over. And the results that we've had so far have been incredible.
0: I find that, uh, I'm, I'm a huge number guy. I like looking at statistics and all that, but I also realize, uh, I'm also a gut guy. I mean, Mm -hmm. what you're seeing on the field cannot be replaced with numbers.
1: No, then it never can. It never can. And I have, I have already a rule with these guys that, you know, usually we go, well, after four innings. let's go ahead and bring this guy in. Um, that's what normally, what, what normally would happen. But, I always go up to that pitcher, especially my starter, and I ask them, I want you to look me in the eye. Do you want the ball? And if they tell me, I want it, coach, all right, get your butt in there. Let's get, it, let, let get yourself ready to go for the next inning. And I make them show me that they want the ball when they're out there. And more often than not, when they go back out there, boom, 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 one, two, three, get out. We're going to come back, score some more runs. So it's that building that, that rebuild of that confidence of that young man that's out there that's actually helped him to become and find out who he is as a pitcher. That's what I've been helping these guys with right now.
0: And I think that's awesome because I don't think you want a pitcher always looking over his shoulder, you know, is the no. coach coming for me, you know, having that conversation with him. Sure. But as a pitching coach, how much do you also rely on the catcher? Because the catcher is the guy really that that's watching him where he's putting the mm-hmm. ball and can tell you, Hey, He's just a little bit off. The umpire's not giving it to him here, but you know, you Mm -hmm. also don't want to flat over the middle of the plate where, like you said, all of a sudden he's crushed a home run over the pine trees or something there.
1: Oh, did I lose you?
0: No. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. I said, uh, so how much do you rely on your catcher during that situation?
1: Here's the interesting part that when I came along, um, last year's team, their, the, their old coach didn't have a combination Like when they threw bullpens after the catcher caught them, they left. Every time after our bullpens, we ha- I have the catcher who just caught my pitcher. We have a comment like a five minute conversation about, okay, catcher, what did you see? Or like, Noah, what did you see my pitcher do? And it's like, I was like, Matt, what'd you see Noah do when he was setting up? What do you want to see? What do you want to do? What do you, well, how do you want this to look like? So I actually helped them become more engaged in their, development as pitchers during bullpens which is actually helping them when they get in a game situation that all i sit back is like all right let me enjoy the show and go get them because i don't call pitches my head coach we don't call pitches we go the old school way catcher and pitcher they're the ultimate they're the ultimate decision makers as to what pitch needs to be called now that being said i i have worked with these guys on number one how to read hitters how to read swings, how to read their stance in the, in the lineup, uh, in the batter's box, excuse me. What had they done recently? You know, looking at stats, looking at what they do. You know, they have, do they have power stats? Are they hitters? Or do they strike out a lot? Do they walk a lot? That gives me a lot of information that will help me help me tell my pitchers how to be able to set their pitch their pitches up to get these guys out. So it's, it's an ever-evolving process of getting in from a coach doing all this kind of crazy stuff with – with their fingers or the numbers or looking at a wristband or looking at a watch. I don't need that, you know, and the pitchers and the catchers, they feel like they're actually in control of their own game and in control of their own destiny. That's the whole purpose of the game, not by somebody else's decision.
0: Was that hard to do with knowing that your players are only there two years, I guess, at a community college versus, you know, a university, that's four years, I mean, it, I mean, it, cause you don't, you can't build up, from a freshman to a senior,
1: no, not at all. But it's it's good that it, we're actually getting. Uh, and here's where the interesting part because the uh, last few years, this program hasn't placed guys into legitimate four year schools. You know, and what I mean by legitimate, you know, going you know high D one, right. mid D one, mid majors, or very strong NAIA schools. Um, right now, a lot of our guys that we've had, we've already placed a couple of guys in in mid-max. We have one kid right now that's more likely going to be between, may go between a supplemental first round all the way to the fifth round because he's already topped out 101 miles an hour. We have major Division two schools looking at our guys right now because of what they're doing on the bump and the numbers are putting up. So that in itself, that's more – of a testament to what we're doing. So we have a short period of time to develop them. So now when they go to the other schools, they know what they're getting. They they don't have, they can polish, but there's no need for further development because these guys are polished the way a pitcher should be polished.
0: Now, are you dealing with a lot of mechanical changes in some of these pitchers or is it one of those things? I, I am.
1: I, I've had to do a lot with that, but my most, my most important thing is number one, Hitting the weight room. Number two, establishing a running program that eliminates long distance running. I don't believe, you know, during my times in the minor leagues, I never did long distance running. I like to do sprint poles. I like to do a lot of explosive sprints. And me being short of 5'10, something to help my fastball actually get up into the low to mid 90s actually helped me do that by getting more use out of my legs. How do you do that? Explosive sprints, get in the weight room, a lot of long toss. Um, Billy Wagner actually helped me, you know, help instill that in me when he and I were together in 94 in the Midwest League. And we talked about it. And that's something that I j- actually do with all my pitchers. And for instance, my guy who's going to get drafted, he was 89.93 coming in on August 16th. A month and a half later, he was 95.97 topping out at 98. So, and all that attribute to from what he told me is like, it's like, coach, the amount, I've never sprinted this much in my life. And I've never done these these lunges, these crazy lunges you make us do. And that's been a, a huge win for all these guys that they have actually improved their velocities. The team last year, they only threw 81 miles an hour. As a team this year, we're throwing 88, 89 miles an hour on the average. So that's a huge win for these boys. Yeah, I don't
0: think enough people realize how much a pitcher it actually comes from his legs versus his arms. Yep. I mean, when you start when you when you when your release point changes, it's usually something from your lower body, not necessarily really okay. upper upper strength. So that that's a great point, And thank you for pointing that out. I've been trying to tell sure. that to people, but people think I'm an idiot. So <laughs> <laughs> and I am an idiot, but I, I love baseball and I could sit anywhere from Little League to, to pro baseball. I could sit and watch it all day.
1: So I can't i on can the same way.
0: Well let's talk about your time at ul now on the baseball field mm-hmm. uh, we talked a little bit about it there but so what was it like playing for coach bollinger because back then i if I, the things i remember about the team it was a very intense Did that come you know the intensity that was brought was that brought from the top down from coach bow or was that something that it just was because this, the players you had
1: coach bow was very um He was, I wouldn't say subdued at times, but he liked to observe. But we, it was almost that we had that reverent respect for him, and a lot of the energy actually came from Coach Jagno. He was probably the most intense coach I've ever had in my whole life, and if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about my time at US at UL, at UL and what I did. You can all say USL stuff. Stuff too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's imprinted in my brain. <laughs> when we were there, that's what
0: it was. I mean, no, that's exactly. USL exactly. is. I mean, is is very appropriate because it was yeah. USL at the time. So don't, you don't no need to correct correct, Sounds correct yourself.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds <laughs> good. So he he was actually he was one of the ones that made me who I am as a player. So. Was it intense in the dugout? Oh, yes, it was, and we made it intense because we we didn't want to fail, we didn't want to lose, and that's something that Coach Bow really instilled in us. We did everything we can to win and put a winning product out there on the field, and we made we all made sure of that. And the supporting staff, you know, Co- Co- uh, Coach Robichaux not not Tony Robichaux, but the other right. Coach Robichaux. Um, then we had Coach Gaspar, then Coach Jagno. And before that, we had Coach Watts, who was my freshman, my freshman pitching coach. Um, he was very intense as well, too. So, um, the big turning point for me was when I was facing—I I believe it was Dartmouth—and I walked the first hitter of the game. Coach Jagno just—he—he he didn't even waste time. He came in. And he grabbed me by my shirt right there on the field. And he said, you better do blankety, blank, 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 And uh, Ken Myers was my catcher. And we were like, we were petrified. And then after that, I wound up striking out the side. When I got into the dugout, he said, see, that's what I'm talking about, grabbing me and shaking me. I'm like, okay, let's go get him. And then after that, I wound up throwing like a two-hit shot out against him. So it was... That's the kind of energy that we built on from that at, in that 91 team. And, I mean, we, w- we, were, we were talented, but we were talented as a whole team together. We didn't have, like, one guy that stood out in front of the other other than Papo. And Papo had – And when we went to the regionals in LSU, that was just absolutely magical watching him perform against those schools. And it, it was it was fun to watch. It was incredible.
0: So you bring up him. I, I've had the opportunity to sit down and talk, talk with him. Uh, we, we do a a, a fundraiser for the uh, baseball team, the diamond club to host a, 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 a golf tournament and yeah. he and I were not playing. So we were able to sit down and, and chat a little bit. Is that, is that the most intense player you've ever played with?
1: Not the most intense, but I think probably one of the most, um, one of the most talented that I've ever played with. Okay. Um, Passionate. Is, yeah, he was for us, straight from Puerto Rico. That's why he and I got along so well, because it was that that passion. We had that passion to play, that that el corazón del pelotero, that heart of the player. We both had that, and we wanted that so bad for all of us. And the energy, I mean, everything revolved around Papo at the time. And if he had a good game, well, my, by golly, we were going to beat the crap out of somebody that day. And it was, to me, it was – absolute thrilling watching him and actually doing stuff with him and following his lead, you know, cause he was definitely our, you know, I would see one of our captains at a time, but you know, he, he was just absolutely incredible to be a teammate with.
0: I used to love, I lived in Germany. My dad was in the army and we had a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the kids there were from Puerto Rico. Their, their, their parents, their dad was in the army and playing baseball with them was always fun because you never knew what was going to happen part of the time. At the same time, they loved the game and loved the passion of the game and loved everything about it. I mean, I I told Papa that, I said, it's one of my best experiences ever, uh, growing up in Germany and being able to play baseball with whites, blacks, Puerto Ricans, everybody. It was so much fun.
1: Well, what's interesting is that starting next summer, um, the the Germany 18U team, they will be actually coming, I I think it might be this summer, because they they announced it in the ABCA convention, that they're going to be coming here to the United States over the course of the summer and actually start playing games here in the United States. And then the following year, they're going to have like a junior college team that they're going to comprise from all kids from all over the country to actually go to Germany and play over there against those teams as, as a matter of, recruitment because there's some kids that we've actually contacted from that team that I would love to have there's a couple left-handed pitchers that I would love to come play for me because they were they were that good I was impressed
0: now I don't know what year it was but I was there was something I was doing some research we played I I believe a team from Japan twice were you around during that or or that I think that was right after you
1: yeah, it was after me. I, we, didn't, we didn't play anybody from – we didn't have any kind of those special games or okay. anything like that when I was there. All
0: right. The the Japanese baseball is very intriguing to me, too, because of just various things there. But but that that's a, yep. that's a whole nother. that's what I'm talking about. I, I, go, <laughs> I go down a rabbit hole, man, and I'm off somewhere else. Oh, talking yeah. To, talking about Germany and Japan, and I'm sitting there trying to talk about <laughs> SSL baseball. So I apologize. I, I know this is what everybody wants to talk about. The rivalry – with South Alabama. I mean, it oh, started yeah. in the regional. Yeah. I mean, talk about that regional, because to me that that's, that, I mean, I, 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 my first spring, the spring of 83, I remember going to baseball games. I don't think we even had lights at the stadium. Then I could be wrong, but uh, you mm-hmm. know, I went to baseball games he, here and there during, during that time. But, but, but that regional in Baton Rouge that year that when we played South Alabama, that just made me, oh, I was all in. Yeah.
1: yeah. And what's interesting is that they we played – our first game was against Northwestern State, and they gave me the ball to pitch in that game. I was surprised. Um, and we wound up beating Northwestern State, and I found out later that that was the first win we've ever had in a regional game. Um, and and any time we've been in regionals, first time we actually won a game. And then after that, it just snowballed. We beat Southern Miss – and then when we came to South Alabama, um, man, that was heated when, I mean, John Lieber was pitching that day and it was, I mean, we were joined jaw- back and forth. I mean, it was the chirping going around was unreal, but then I remember Popo getting hit a couple of times there. And Popo did, you know, I keep talking about, I've talked about it with several people about this, but we had the bases loaded. The time run, I'm sorry, the winning run was on third base and we had the base loaded and then Papa and the catcher were jawing, And I remember Papa was getting, you know, his, his little slack swing getting ready to go to hit and he turns to the catcher and blows him a kiss and the next pitch, Lieber drills him with a fastball and then Papa goes to first and he points, well, I don't remember who was at third base, but he points to him at third base, you're going to score and he goes to first base and the whole stance went, I mean, we went crazy. And then we started getting lippy. He started getting lippy on the first. I thought we were going to fight right there. Yeah. So then that basically was the start of the big rivalry we've had with South Alabama since. And so 92, I'm sorry, 91 was the, that was the epicenter of the South Alabama stuff.
0: Was the 91, was that the year that they had so much rain in Baton Rouge and everything and games games were moved around? Yep. I know y'all didn't like the rain, but I love the rain because I was working on a construction crew and every time we got rained out, man, I could go to Baton Rouge and catch the games during the yep. middle of the game. I remember yeah, yeah, she- yeah,
1: that, was, that, that was nuts. We didn't, think we were going to get any of the games in and, you know, we we're trying to take batting practice in their cage and the cage were almost flooded. So it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of a mess, kind of a mess going and, and doing that, doing the, uh, the regionals there, but, you know, when you're at LSU and Alex box and you're in front of all these people and performing, that was, um. I mean, cause I know that in that regional we had USC in the regional and I think Brett Boone was also in that regional as well, too, that he was doing hit home runs all over the place and everything too. But um, then we got to the last game against LSU and that was the deciding one whether who's going to go from there to the college world series. And, um, I remember uh, Robert Turk was hitting with the base we had the game we had the winning run on second basis. So we were home team and Robert Turk struck out with the bases loaded right then and there and that was it so it was it was a hard pill to swallow for a lot of us because that was our 20th loss and we finished a year 49 and 20 so it was it was it was hard to it was hard to to swallow on that one but it was it was an incredible experience
0: so moving on to, to uh you know, when, when, you, where was the game? The fight happened in, in, at, at Russo Park or the Tee. Yep. Yep. So uh, explain for those that might not know. I mean, I know it started kind of the year before with everything, yep. but uh, kind of set the stage for us here. If you don't here, mind. Here, here, I know you here probably,
1: Here's how it evolved. Here's how it evolved. So the stuff, the Papa got hit. um by John Lieber at that time, you know, 91, right. We score, we win, we beat them. We can knock them out. Then we play against South Alabama and John Lieber was a starter at the time. Um, I don't think I got the start that day. Cause I think I was supposed to pitch the next day. I'm not sure. But, um, um but anyway, we were, um, Pablo came up with the first inning. He got drilled. He came up in the third inning, and I think he got like a double or a single. I can't remember which. And then after that, and I don't think John meant to throw this pitch or meant to hit him because his his reaction to when he got hit, I knew he didn't intend to hit him. But, you know, already he got one hit once by John Lieber in the regionals, got hit in the first inning against him. I'm like, so now he threw a little backup slider and drilled Papa right, just right in the ribcage, and – Papa was sick of it. Threw his bat down, and when we saw him go out there, it was like, "Here we go! Let's go ahead and knock knock, knock some stuff out." And I mean, the fight was. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we. I mean, we. I, everybody got their licks in. You know, I had a couple of. You know, a couple of guys took some shots at me and got involved And, I, you know, I saw Gary Hod right in the middle of the thing too. You know, my uh, my col you know my my teammate and yeah. I was rushing in to get somebody off of, him. and then I got I jumped from behind, and then. We also found out that the bus driver of South Alabama ran across the top of the dugout on the first base side, jumped in Mo Haney's box right next to the first base dugout, took out a knife and started, you know, showing his wheeling his knife around and it turned into a, a WWF cage match right next to the first base dugout. I'm like, Holy crap, what's going on? And finally he wanted to get bus driver got arrested so it was it was just nuts. I mean, that was one of the greatest brawls I've ever been involved with.
0: I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to ask Mo about that. I uh, I didn't know I did not know that story. So thank you. Yep. Uh, so it it was. No, I don't
1: know, I don't know if Mo. I don't know if Mo got cut or anything, but I know he that guy jumped down there, and we were. I mean, we saw Mo, you know, throwing haymaker. I, I remember seeing Mo throwing haymakers from, from the thing because I remember Mark Bruce was like. Oh, dude! Look at Mo throwing haymakers there because we were we, we saw from <laughs> our side, so we saw it clear as day. The guys throwing haymakers in that uh in their box it was hilarious. But man, all the all our and that's why I love cages. I mean, Cajun we we love our baseball down there, and oh man, they're passionate about it. It's like you mess with our team, you're gonna mess with everybody there.
0: Well, you know, we, I used to go, and we used to uh, probably my junior or senior year, we and and right after that, we would go to the games, and we would sit right behind the third base dugout. And at the time they were those old wooden bleachers that if you slid across them, you'd put a splinter in your butt. And it was just, and we, we could bring our own ice chest in actually uh, coach Kelly came to our, which was before you uh, came, came to our uh, uh, fraternity meeting one day and said, guys, I can't tell you, you can bring beer into the game. I can tell you, they won't stop you. He said, just don't bring water or Coke, stuff that we sell. So we would bring our ice (laughs) chest into the game. I love that. And then towards, uh, I forgot what year it was, but we would end up bringing bull crawfish in, eating crawfish in the stands. And then by the end of the season, uh, the end of the the season, all this crawfish was peels were underneath the stands because you just push it over and and it just stunk. I mean, it was horrible. So, but I, I don't remember what year it was, but there was a bad call at third base. And, and people were yelling at the umpire. You talk about cages being packed. We were throwing crawfish peels at the
1: umpire and everything. Well, I can, I can so see that. I, 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 yeah, I can see that in my mind right now. I, that not shocked, not so, shocked at all.
0: So after that, we couldn't bring crawfish in in anymore. So <laughs> that's
1: too bad. That's too bad.
0: So you talked about Papos a lot. I'm just looking at that, this media guy. So I get, after, it was after one of the games, he got married to Tina. Were you, were, was the whole team still there and everything? Yep. Um,
1: and I actually, I actually played my trumpet. I actually played the bridal fanfare for Papo's wedding.
0: See, this is what I'm saying. I, 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 I had no idea that you were in the band.
1: Yeah. I was, and you know, it was interesting, I was, uh, I was training to be a band director, um, I actually helped, you know, write some shows and everything or had some input on writing marching band shows because I was really involved into that, and in 92, it was interesting that I actually, uh, with the, the, cl- the classic jazz trumpetist, Witten Marcellus, actually came in to do a concert on a Tuesday night, but on a Wednesday, that's when we have our recital hour at the at the music department, and when Marcellus did a masterclass and I was asked to play one of the classical pieces that he's actually recorded. So I was out there on stage. I had my, my 1991 championship ring on my hand and my right hand Cause that's my, that's the one I use for my depressing down the valves. And before I took my breath and actually played my horn, he stopped me and he goes, you like baseball? I was like, yes, sir. I love baseball. And Here I am having a conversation with with Marcellus about baseball right there in front of maybe 500 people. And I'm like, I will. And that kind of relaxed me a little bit and I played for him. And then, and he taught me how to actually play my trumpet the right way. And it was extremely, I I was something I'll never forget either. I mean, so that's what I'm saying. My times at, 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 at UL were the most memorable in my entire life.
0: This is just, I could sit and talk, stories about because like i said i would i was there not you got there right after me but it that that was i, I can honestly say my time at usl changed my life oh yeah uh, uh i don't i know i wouldn't be here where i where i where i, where I, where I am today without my mm-hmm. time there so uh
1: absolutely absolutely uh,
0: i mean you've got you, you played at a wedding you played baseball you put you quentin marcellus you, you yep. had you know, you played in the band. So how, how yeah. did that work in the fall? Because back then we had fall ball where we actually played. Did, did y'all still play teams in the fall? Like other teams? Yeah,
1: we still played teams and everything. And I know like our marching band practice was from usually on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it was from 12 to one on Tuesday, Thursday was 1230 to one forty-five. So during that time, like I would have to literally pack up my horn and get my car and drive over to the field for practice. So And, you know, Coach Bo and everybody knew that that was my major um, was music education. So they they worked around it. So um, now what was fun about it, when I on Saturday nights for games and everything for football games, I was in the marching band. So basically I was lining up where, you know, uh, the band would actually probably, you know, go in and play in front of the fans and actually go into the stadium. So all of the all of my teammates were like oh man they're trying to make me laugh because I have to be all serious and yeah. everything with my home and everything and they were trying they were doing everything to get me to laugh or do get me to screw up or whatever so it was that that that's just it is what it is and i I love I love every bit of it well that's what I was gonna say that shows that they
0: loved you because if they if they didn't oh, yeah. love you they wouldn't have cared to come out there and and, and do all yep. that I, absolutely I don't, I don't think enough people realize sometimes that the the whole uh, picking on somebody is a lot of times a form of love.
1: So oh, it is, it is, it is, and you know, it was, it was very genuine. I didn't take it, I didn't take it personal or anything like that. I enjoyed it, and you know, just, I mean, like I said, that whole experience with those guys and the marching band, you know, Ed coming on. I mean, it's just, I close my eyes and I just, I, I can just see all of that, and you know, I actually played on the in the pit not not the pit but in the pep band when uh, we went to the um to the big dance i think it was a 91 or 92 i can't remember which state it was i think it was somewhere in new mexico and yeah. we actually the band actually got ejected because we kept harassing the uh, the referees so all of us got ejected from the from the from the from the game so yeah we we got in trouble <laughs> our band director yelled at us and everything but we had a good time and we didn't care
0: all right then I, you bring that up so i gotta ask where was your place on the strip? I know if you, if you got ejected from a basketball game, you had to have gone out maybe once or twice.
1: Uh, It was Mako's and all the, the burger place. Um, Pete's there you go. Pete's. Pete's. Okay. Yep. Is it still there? Uh, Pete's on
0: Johnson is the one that was down by the strip. I don't, I think it's called the bulldog now.
1: Okay. They had the best burgers I ever had right there. Those, I mean, I would, I would pound like two or three of those suckers every time we went out.
0: Uh, I used to love Papa Q's, That the guy that was outside of uh, right there on the strip, he had this old, mm-hmm. this old Weber grill and would flip burgers at at, at two o'clock in the morning. It might have been because crazy. it was because it was two o'clock in the morning. They tasted so good, but
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So, well, um, man. I don't want to take it uh, too much more but let me ask you this. Yeah. Drafted. We're, we're, I just want to touch on the minor leagues a little bit. So drafted after your junior year, did you ever go yeah. back? And did you get your music degree? Or? No,
1: I didn't finish my music degree because what happened was I was um, in 94. No, I'm sorry. I got drafted in 92. Then I went to, I actually got chosen to play in the Olympics Oh, really? uh, by Puerto Rico, by the Puerto Rican national team. So I, I played in the Olympics in '92.
0: Well, now I got to look that then, up.
1: And then after, well, I actually, what happened was when when we were doing our the Olympic trials in Puerto Rico, I was pitching to the Dominican Republic, and I suffered an injury in my elbow. Oh, so I didn't get a chance to actually because my next start would have been against the United States in Barcelona. That was my next start. I'm sorry. So, because of my oh, I I I still have my uniform and knowing that I had a chance to represent my country, Puerto Rico, that was also something it was beyond beyond anything I could I could describe, knowing that I got a chance to wear the Puerto Rican hat and wear the Puerto Rican uniform out there was unreal.
0: So any regret so leaving, I mean, because I know I know I know there's a whole lot of, of difference between uh, money signing your junior year versus after your yeah. senior year. So, I, I mean, but
1: d- did you miss I know, I know coach? I know coach Bo, I know coach Bo wanted me to come back, uh, for my senior year because he knew that the wins record, I would completely obliterate the wins record at, at, at USL because at the time I was, when I won my 23rd game, actually, the day, the night that I won my 23rd game, I remember he told me, Javi, I want you to have this record. This record's yours. So I won the I got the win. I can't remember. I don't remember who we're facing when I got my 23rd win. And then the next and then after that, it was we went to the regionals. We didn't do well in the regionals at Texas. And then he said, I want you to come back. So, but you know, when the twins drafted me, it was like, wow, this is the great opportunity. And this is my dream to be able to play at that next level. So I decided to sign on the dotted line and you know start my professional career there. But do i have regrets of actually not going back i have often thought about it but if i didn't if i wouldn't have signed now i don't have what i have now because i, I don't know what you know my life would have been different so it was yeah. so i'm 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 good either way put it that way
0: i i, I and, and probably regrets is a bad word I, I i should have said do you ever think about what could have been you know oh yeah
1: I, I, absolutely absolutely You know, because I I know that if I would have gone back, there's no question I would have won over 32, 33 games. There's no question. Um, But it was more so of, you know, I think it was kind of the right time for me. And, you know, it kind of worked out that way, which is great. And, you know, I have no I look back as those were some of the best times of my entire life. And now watching my kid, my my three sons grow up in the game, my my oldest son played professionally for two years after getting his degree from IU, and my two my my older my middle child is a sophomore. Today is his first varsity game that he plays, and he's going to be the starting second baseman. And he's actually doing, you know, he's getting looked at by several schools right now as a sophomore. Um, several D1, a lot of D1 schools, is getting looked at as he's very good second baseman, knows how to hit. And then my eighth grader is coming up pretty soon, and. Come next year, he's going to be my catcher, and he's my pitching hopeful. He's my only one of my sons that wanted to pitch, so he's my pitching hopeful. But he's not left-handed, so he's, he's right-handed. So I got to get him to throw hard.
0: So I I know, uh, but can can you talk about that a little bit? Because I I know uh, helping people with golf. I, I I was a decent golfer for a while, and I hurt my back. But mm-hmm. but helping people with golf, it's very difficult for a right-hander to talk to a left-hander about hitting a golf ball because everything's opposite, but it's, it should be easy. How difficult is it for you being left-handed to talk to someone that throws the ball right hand? Is that a difficulty or is it
1: not? No, not for me and not at all, because it's about body movement. It's about body movement, body posture, and helping the, helping the pitcher understand how he needs to move down the slope of the mound and how he can use his body to the utmost advantage to help him throw the ball efficiently Hard and with control. Lastly,
0: I, I, I almost felt like this was a misprint, but is your first name really Guido?
1: Guido, yes, it is. Guido, my first, Guido. Name is, my first name is Guido because my my dad's name is Guido. My brother's name is actually, I'm going to call him by, by his proper name. He is Dr. Guido de Jesus. He's a doctor of uh, internal medicine at LSU. Um, he's a teaching doctor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My grandfather's name is Guido. So it's more of a family name.
0: Okay, I I just, and, and I was pronouncing it wrong, but I, and maybe, uh, but uh, I just assumed that was more Italian than uh, uh, Hispanic or Puerto Rican, you know, so. But I guess I could be wrong. I'm, I, obviously, I'm wrong.
1: No, because so. we are our uh, my dad did a family genealogy and our his on his side of the family is on the southern part of Germany, northern part of Italy, believe it or not.
0: Well, you see, I'm not crazy. Not that. Nope, crazy. You're, you're
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, man, thank you so much. Uh, this this was uh, this was fun. And like we talked about, let's let's come back uh after UL baseball season's over maybe your season's Mm -hmm. over and and let's talk about your time in the minor leagues and what's going on in baseball in general because you've got a great mind you've got a great memory and you've got a great experience that i would love to be able to share with more people
1: anytime you want me on your show all you have to do is send me a message and i'm on there bro anytime
0: Hey, thank you so much, and we're going to get you back in touch with Tuna a little bit too. get him on here let him, good, and let him ask you some questions. So
1: it sound, sounds like a plan. I appreciate that.
0: All right, you've been listening to We're Talking, Craig Melanson and Jave De Jesus. Was that good? There you go. Absolutely. Have a great day, brother. Take care. Take care, my man.
2: Bye. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited. Except, ah, oh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it. Share it. Put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.